calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The Warning Woods presents... The 2023 Halloween Special. This episode is only one part of a five-part series. Be sure to listen to each episode in order. This story will reach its dramatic conclusion at midnight on October 31st, Halloween. But if you don't want to wait, it's available in paperback and ebook from Amazon.com. So without further ado, let's travel to Prouty, Indiana. This is The Owl. The last words Andrew Laxton ever wrote were published on a WordPress blog on Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. Thanks to a few former colleagues back in Gary, who Andy still considered friends, his blog post went viral in the northern half of Indiana. Word of the post even reached a few years at some big publications in Chicago, but without a single corroborating report to back up the former Gary Gazette writer's wild claims, they shared nothing on the subject. Andy ignored dire warnings from Chief Gilbert on behalf of Mayor Ashburn when he published his post about incompetence and dishonesty leading directly to the death of a young child. He risked burning every bridge he had with the local police, including his supposed ally Officer Crystal Jennings and informant Rose Barnum, the dispatcher. He did so with statements like, Local authorities negligently withheld life-saving information and proof of impending danger from the public. The consequences were swift and tragic. 
If he had been allowed to live, Andy would have received criticisms accusing him of fabricating the story and capitalizing upon the death of a child to gain attention. Andy would have rebutted them with more evidence, more photos, the descriptions of his own encounters, which he had tactfully withdrawn from the first article to sound like less of a loon. Even he had to admit how horribly fantastical his drainpipe escape sounded, and without an explanation as to why the owl didn't kill Mrs. Poplar, the dead boy's mother, he didn't feel comfortable sharing that account yet. But Andrew, Andy, Laxton, would avoid these criticisms completely. He would shed his gnawing guilt and relieve Chief Gilbert and Mayor Ashburn of the pressure to shut him up, all simply by being dead. Andy attended the emergency town hall at 9 o'clock on Monday the 26th. Mayor Gina Ashford, a character Andy had not met personally yet, led the meeting with Chief Gilbert at her side. Flanking her and looking uncomfortably out of place was Rick from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Andy wondered how Rick's view of the situation might have changed, if at all, when the creature he had unknowingly dubbed the owl in Andy's mind started racking up victims. He supposed he was about to find out. All right, everyone, I know we're anxious to get started, Mayor Ashford said, hushing the crowd of 50 or so agitated residents. Andy clocked Officer Jennings by the west exit, looking grim. She scanned the crowd with her watchful gaze, but still refused to meet Andy's eyes. The mayor said, This is a close-knit community. I know most of you here today by first name. She made brief, seemingly subconscious eye contact with Andy, and Andy wondered if he was the only person in the room she didn't know. When one of us is hurt, it hurts us all. We feel for them, for their families, and... One of us wasn't hurt, Gina. Three of us were. How are you going to make this stop? A tall, grayed man near the back shouted. Andy realized it was the older man who had cut open the small pellet the day before. Jennings took a step forward. Please, please, if you'll all just give me a chance to speak for a few minutes. I know you're upset. You have every right to be. I have, standing with me, two individuals who have been central to investigating the disappearances, and they are here to explain what we know and how we can all remain safe until the situation is resolved. Before I hand the mic over to Chief Gilbert, let me just offer my sincerest condolences to the families of the missing, particularly to the family of Josh Poplar, the young boy who went missing yesterday. The ongoing effort to find him is probably why there aren't two or three times as many people here. Our community is strong, and we will work together to resolve this. With that, Chief? Mayor Ashford stepped back from the podium and allowed the police chief to take her place. Andy seethed with anger. He couldn't believe they still weren't admitting Josh Poplar was killed. When he had seen the notification about a missing child posted on Facebook by Prouty PD on Sunday night, he had immediately called the department. He asked Ian if he knew why the public statement alleged the boy could still be alive. Ian had told him that without a body, they could not confirm the child's death. Andy had argued that Officer Jennings had herself seen the boy's small hand drop out of the pellet which was wrapped in the remnants of his clothes. Ian said that without DNA confirmation that the hand had belonged to young Josh Poplar, they had to keep searching in case he was still out there somewhere. The way Ian spoke sounded rehearsed, and Andy had assumed he was receiving talking points assigned by the chief. With Chief Gilbert now behind the podium, everyone grew more tense. Their posture, very demeanor, 
became stiff and businesslike. Andy wondered if this would be the moment of truth, the moment Chief Gilbert finally came out and told the citizenry the true nature of the situation. Would he admit the so-called missing men and child were dead, wrapped up in their own dismantled clothing? Would he tell the anxious crowd a beast for which there was no name was responsible for these killings? For the slow, vampiric feeding on their peaceful little town? Now some of you have no doubt heard talk of a monster in Prouty, the chief began. I'm here with Mr. Santini from the DNR to put those rumors to bed. Chief Gilbert gestured back toward Rick. Andy's face flushed with heat. He kept from spontaneous protest. In the year 2020, with public trust in news media at an all-time low, which it seemed it would never recover from, Andy had to be careful how he handled himself. He needed to stay cool and rational in the face of insanity if he wanted to be believed. Mr. Santini is a compliance officer with the Wildlife Division of the DNR. He's an expert on game animals and local predators. I've asked him to come here to talk about what might really be out in the woods. I ask you all to listen carefully and hold your questions. The chief switched his gaze to Andy. Or comments. Then away. Until the end. All right. He paused until a few in the crowd nodded affirmatively. Then he turned and halfway into the mic said, Rick, you want to take it from here? Rick stepped forward. He looked apprehensively over the crowd, then at his notes. Andy read discomfort on his glistening face. Rick Santini had probably chosen a career that would seclude him in nature for a reason. But despite his nerves, when Rick opened his mouth, he spoke with authority which might have even persuaded Andy if Andy had not seen the truth for himself. I, along with investigators from the Prouty and St. Joseph Police Departments, have examined the human remains discovered in the woods from both the adult female and the adult male that have been recovered. Why don't you say their names, huh? A woman somewhere in the back jeered. It took Rick a moment to recover. Andy thought Rick probably didn't even know the victims' names. His job was to focus on the wildlife part of the investigation. The humans involved didn't matter as much to him. Sorry, as I was saying, I've examined the remains. I've also investigated two of the sites where remains were deposited. Deposited? These are people we're talking about, not recycled Coke bottles, another person buried in the crowd bellowed. Chief Gilbert reclaimed the microphone, leaning in front of Rick temporarily. Ladies and gentlemen, please, Mr. Santini is trying to share critical information with you all. You may not like to hear what he has to say, I know it all sounds ugly, but this is an ugly situation. Now, if we have any more outbursts before I open the floor for questions, I will have my officer back there remove you. Jennings nodded seriously as a few heads turned toward her. Thanks, Chief, Rick continued. So, the animal that's been catching people is likely something non-native, which is why we haven't seen this before. I have sent photos to a few neighboring states to see if they have anything similar. I'll be frank, I expect to hear they've never seen anything like it either. The crowd murmured uneasily. Now that doesn't mean this is some kind of alien or monster, folks. All it means is something out there is adapting and changing its habits. We see this sort of thing all the time on a smaller scale. Animals watch, they learn, they develop. I'd prefer not to speculate on what type of animal is doing this at this time, but I'd also like to put the rumors of some sort of unnatural creature to bed. Andy had liked Rick when he'd first met him, but now the man was causing him to seethe with rage. Rick was blowing the perfect, and perhaps the only, opportunity 
to inform the residents of the true danger they were in. Would it kill him to describe the pellets? Unless they happened to be part of the small crowd who witnessed the small pellet yesterday like the graying man who had first yelled out, no one in the audience even knew what exactly Rick and the police had been finding deposited in the woods. What would they think if they knew whatever was out there could swallow them whole? What infuriated Andy beyond anything else was how Rick must have known he was lying. He must have known they weren't dealing with some microevolution in the natural order. Whether the owl was from space, or from underground, or a mad scientist's lab, Andy didn't know or care, but it certainly wasn't the result of normal adaptation. Rick kept talking, but Andy found the so-called information he provided to be entirely unhelpful. The crowd ate it up, though. The crowd which had not seen the pellets or the skeletons within. The crowd which probably could not imagine the size of them. The crowd which would have laughed Andy out of the meeting hall if he had tried to describe the talons he had seen at the end of the drainpipe. He wondered if anyone else who had been at the horrendous scene yesterday would speak up. The chief and mayor seemed to be keeping tight wraps on the unfolding story. They didn't appear to want any outside help except for maybe from Rick, who was now helping them draft a version of events sanitized for public consumption. But if Andy could find anyone else who had been there, seen the pellet, and scattered when they heard the beast which had left it, maybe he could work with them to get the real story out. And maybe they could do it before anyone else got hurt. When Rick had finished, the chief took over and opened the floor for questions. What can we do to stay safe? asked one man Andy didn't think he had seen before. Chief Gilbert replied, Go about your daily routines, but keep your eyes peeled. Travel in groups if you can. No walking alone, staring down at your phone. Just be alert. Are you taking any extra precautions? A woman asked. We'll maintain our usual patrols and investigate any and all sightings reported, the chief replied with a warm liar's grin. Andy stood. Chief Gilbert, you, Mr. Laxton, if you're here to spout more conspiracy theories and monster nonsense, then I'm going to ask Officer Jennings to see you out, the chief warned. Andy held up one finger. I'll only speak for a moment, then I'll leave on my own. I just want to remind everyone that this thing snatched a child in broad daylight yesterday. He was with friends who saw what took him. Where are those kids today? Are they? I'm sure they're out searching with their families, the chief said. A woman stood quickly, causing her folding metal chair to squeal on the floor. She raised the hand of the little boy sitting next to her and said, Chief, my son was there and saw the monster. He's very sure it's not some normal animal and I believe him. Chief Gilbert paled. He looked across the room at Jennings, who shrugged. Let's hear what he has to say, a man with a booming voice shouted over the murmuring crowd. It was the same old man who had cut open the pellet again. Andy issued his agreement. Folks, I'm sorry, but if this is going to devolve into useless garble about fictional creatures and get everyone all worked up, I'm shutting down the public comment portion of this meeting, the chief said. There was a mixture of jeers and applause from the small, divided crowd. Madam Mayor, do you have anything to add? Mayor Ashford, who looked sick, shook her head. Meeting adjourned. It was the town hall meeting which prompted Andy to write his expose calling out Proudy PD and other local authorities for covering up the danger. He finished it by Tuesday afternoon. When it was done... Andy posted the article and sent the link to his contacts in Gary, along with a plea for them to share it. 
He included photos of the first pellet in his emails. He received a few non-committal replies like, Let me just give it a read first, and I'll have to check with my editor before I share. Of course, after Andy was killed, the same people who answered his request this way were eager to share the story and garner all the attention which came with it. One journalist posted the article with the following caption, Late journalist and good friend Andrew Laxton shared this article with me on the same day he was killed, apparently by the very creature he wrote about. Please share in honor of this man who died pursuing a story he cared about. There were a couple of good people who immediately agreed to share the story. One of his old friends had family in South Bend and told Andy he didn't want the situation spreading out there. He agreed to do whatever he could to help. It was mostly thanks to this old friend that the article began to spread locally. With his article finished and distributed, Andy went for a walk through town to clear his head and tried to generate some ideas about how to help the community. He walked past the house where a woman was surely mourning her missing husband, presuming him dead. As the sun kissed the treetops, Andy walked through the center of town to Cross Tower Baptist, where a small boy had taken his dog for a walk with his friends for the last time. He meant to turn back so he could get inside before dark, but it was here that Andy found a small group of people huddled together on the lawn. There were six people in total. He wondered if this was one of the volunteer search parties out looking for the missing man and child. When Andy approached the group, someone noticed him, and a round of murmurs rippled through them. Andy waved. He saw familiar faces he had no names for, and one that he did. Rose Barnum, the dispatcher-slash-librarian. She gestured for him to join them. What's this? Andy asked, as the graying man who had cut open the pellet stepped aside to let him join the circle. We're just discussing what's really going on here, Rose explained. Her usual lighthearted tone was notably absent. To the group at large, she said, Andy survived an attack from the monster the same day poor Josh Poplar was taken. He's a journalist, and he's been dipping into this more than anyone, including the police. Did Ian tell you about my attack? Andy asked Rose. No, Crystal did, Rose replied. She's as concerned about all of this as you are. She doesn't want to be shut out, so she toes the chief's line. It's killing her, though. I can tell. I just don't understand why Gilbert and Ashburn are trying to hide the truth, someone said. Andy turned to her and realized he vaguely recognized her. She was the woman whose house he had walked by only a few minutes before and had guessed was inside grieving. He had learned her name was Heather Trout, wife to Reggie Trout, and of course, she wasn't just sitting around. She was out here trying to do something to bring her husband home. Oh, I can tell you why, Rose said. A simple explanation means a simple solution. If the chief or the mayor admit that something unheard of, something crazy is going on here, they'll have to team up with other agencies, bring in more researchers, issue a curfew, and post enough officers to enforce it. It would be a whole logistical nightmare that they just don't want to deal with. So, they're just lazy? A man Andy was shocked to see asked, It was the man with whom he had hid behind a tree the day before. The dead boy's father. Rose nodded. Lazy, afraid, worried, and also worried what people will do if the truth gets out. They would never admit it, but they're afraid of the people who live here. Our department is small, and if things get out of hand, there's almost nothing they can do to calm them back down. Well, I guess I found the right group to tell this to, Andy said. I've just published an article telling the truth about everything. If you all share it, Maybe it'll get around to some of the folks who've bought the official lie. Someone shushed him. 
The sound of beating wings told the rest of the group why. It only came once. With no one speaking, they realized how loudly the tree's dry yellow leaves were rustling. With horror, Andy realized the sun was halfway below the tree line now. The group's bodies cast long shadows across the lawn of Cross Tower Baptist. It's out hunting, he said. We should get undercover. Like mice hiding from an owl, Rose said absently. Andy gave her a curious look, prompting her to ask, What? Nothing. It's just that DNR guy, Rick, compared this thing to an owl too. I've been calling it the owl in my head ever since. Well, that's as good a name as any, I think, Rose said. The quiet breeze evaporated, and the trees went still and silent. Somehow this stillness disturbed them all more than the distant wings. It opened up the world, in a way. Zoomed everything out to make them all seem so much smaller. Some of the group got into cars. Others walked briskly back to their homes. If you follow me back home, I can drive you to your place, Rose offered to Andy. But Andy refused. He already felt enough guilt for having evaded the owl the day Josh Poplar was taken. He couldn't bear to put sweet Rose at risk for his own sake. Instead, he hurried home on foot. He ran past the gaps between homes which looked out into the woods, but otherwise moved carefully and quietly. Occasionally, a distant branch would groan, or a whisper amongst the leaves would grow to a thunderous, macabre applause. Andy felt as if it wasn't a creature within the woods which might be hunting him, but rather the entire forest itself. One ravenous macro-organism intent on reclaiming the earth one man, woman, or child at a time. He got home safely. After locking the front door, he went to the back deck. He dared not open the glass door and double-checked that it was latched shut. He stared out into the black trees as the pinkish hue of dusk waned and perished without protest. He couldn't shake the feeling of, as Rose had aptly described, being a mouse crouched beneath some cold rock, hiding from an owl. Hiding from the owl. Thinking it would make him feel better, he flipped on the light outside. The white LED bulb shone out beyond the deck, overexposing the dwindling leaves of the nearest trees and casting a shadow of the railing against them. After a few deep centering breaths, Andy turned the light back off. An enormous shape burst out of the treetops just as the light went out. It moved fast, no more than a blur, up into the sky where Andy's overhanging roof blocked his view of it. He took two steps back and watched waiting to see where the shadow would come back down. Was there someone out there? Had the owl selected some unsuspecting victim? Perhaps a neighbor who had opened the door to let a pet outside? A sudden, immense impact shattered the glass door inward. At the same time, Andy was sent flying across the room by the unstoppable force which had entered his home. He hadn't seen the creature descend. It had swooped down from above the house, letting the roof hide it from view until the last second. Whether it knew the door stood between it and its prey was immaterial. The glass may as well have been a paper curtain against the owl's power. Andy crawled behind his couch, which the beast carelessly flicked aside with one of its wings, which also functioned as its arms. It was too tall to stand upright, but it moved agilely within the tight space nonetheless. One of its wing arms reached out, clawing for Andy's flesh with a three-fingered hand. The stairs were right behind him, He rolled down them, painfully. He barely looked up before the monster was reaching for him again. He just couldn't get away from it. 
One three-fingered claw tore his shirt and scratched his torso from just above his left nipple down to his hip. He kicked at the wing before it cut any further. Andy crawled into his narrow downstairs hallway, then stood and ran to his office in the furthest corner. He couldn't imagine the towering, muscle-bound monster fitting through the doorway, but the monster was beyond imagination. Through the closed office door, Andy heard the owl slithering through the hallway. Its tough skin rubbed against the walls like sandpaper, sliding towards the door. Andy pulled up the blinds on the single window in his office. He struggled with the warped window's lock, which caught halfway open. It always did. You had to press down on the top of the window with one hand while turning the latch. Andy normally did this out of habit, but in his panicked rush to escape, as his blood soaked his ripped shirt, he had forgotten. Shutting the door had been a waste of time. As soon as the monster reached it, it smashed the door inward and splintered the frame apart as it entered the office. With one swipe of its great wing, the owl overturned Andy's desk, crushing the very computer he had used to write an article about it. Both claws at the end of its wings tore into Andy's back as it shoved him against the closed window. His mind and body went mercifully numb. He felt a rush, a spontaneous high, wash over him as he accepted his fate. As the sun rose on Wednesday, October 28th, the residents of Prouty woke to texts, emails, and direct messages from out-of-town relatives containing a link to a single article on an otherwise empty WordPress blog. The article described a horrific string of attacks as well as a blatant cover-up. Calls flooded Prouty PD's two phone lines, and Rose had to field questions from residents ranging from hysterical to furious. A small crowd gathered outside the police department entrance. Some people held signs with messages like, We want the truth, and Tell us what you know. Another crowd formed by the front doors to the town hall, chanting for the mayor to come out and explain herself. Mayor Ashford hid in her office with the door locked. Chief Gilbert also hid in his office, but he sent Jennings out on an important assignment. He told her to bring one Andrew Laxton in on a charge of interfering with official acts. He planned to give the so-called journalist a chance to right his wrongs. He would sign a statement saying he made up or exaggerated all the claims in his article. If not, he would sit in jail until his day in court. St. Joseph County courts were backed up at the time, so it could be up to a week before Mr. Laxton got another chance to spew his garbage. No, not garbage. The chief couldn't help but admit to himself but dangerous information all the same. Officer Jennings couldn't wait to confront Andy. The hurtful things he had written reflected on her as much as everyone else in authority. She couldn't wait to see the look on his face as she tightened her cuffs around his weak little wrists. She couldn't wait to parade him past the crowd of protesters outside the police department and let them see. But wouldn't that just bolster their idea that the police were involved in a scheme to hide the truth? Would arresting the very journalist who had exposed them irreversibly cement the idea in the public mind? It didn't matter. She had her orders. It was up to the chief to deal with whatever fallout may come. Jennings knocked on Andy's door three times before walking around to the back of the house. She had seen his deck the day he had called in the first victim's body. She thought maybe he was sitting out there, reveling in his minimal, fleeting fame. She didn't see Andy up there, but she saw the jagged hole where his sliding door used to be. This is Jennings, she panted into her radio after running up the outer stairs to Andy's back deck. You need to get over here, Chief. Jennings did not wait for Chief Gilbert to arrive. 
She went into the house, gun drawn, only announcing her presence with a whisper. Her boots crunched broken glass as she walked across the chaotic living room. It looked like a tornado had swept through the house. Some of the floorboards had splintered. The couch was overturned and pushed off to one side. Most frightening of all were the stairs leading down. They had been pulverized. Jennings couldn't find a safe way downstairs, so she went back outside. She went window to window, hoping one would be open so she could get back in. She found only one window with the blinds pulled up. There was a fearsome amount of blood smeared on the inside of the glass. The room beyond was too dark to see in the glaring light of the morning sun. Hand trembling, Jennings pulled her tactical flashlight off her utility belt. She pressed the switch with her numb thumb. To avoid worsening the glare, she pressed the flashlight directly against the window. The room inside lit up. Like the living room, it had been smashed into ruin. In the center of the room sat a large, gray mass wrapped in ragged threads. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.